welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickham yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Hello, everybody. Hey, everybody. It has been a little while. It has. Yes. Went through surgery and then post-surgical infection that landed me back in the hospital for another four days mm-hmm. actually the first surgery i went home the same day yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then i ended up back it was had some pelvic surgery and had to have a super pubic catheter so i could it's a it's a catheter that goes in through the outside of your body into your bladder just above the pubis so that you can pee from there because other areas maybe aren't in the right condition to do that. They're in recovery mode. They're in recovery mode. But what happened is, is that the area of the catheter got infected, had cellulitis, and then a massive bladder infection that was um, leading me into sepsis. My uh, blood pressure had bottomed out and my vitals were all whacked out and my, my blood work. So yeah, it, um, it was scary. And I'm like, I took so, so took, had taken such good care of that damn thing. And I was like, what the hell? And then my doctor said it likely happened, uh, got contaminated in surgery because th- sometimes it can happen no matter how clean and I really respected her for that because a lot of doctors be like well you know but she's like hey it happens and I'm sorry and and anyway I I got amazing care and I'm very close to uh I'm on the mend now I'm feeling a lot better but uh for the longest time I was just too exhausted my mind was too uh mushy yeah well you just yeah your body you're just in recovery mode yeah I was really Mary was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh Well, I think anytime you have, you know, something going from, you know, the outside of your body, like where it's touching air into the internal part of the body, like an organ, there's always, you know, a risk for infection. And I was surprised too, because I was like, why is it just like there? There's nothing taping it in place. Yeah, I talked to the doctor and she said that uh, it, um, they don't usually put, um, gauze around it or anything and it's pretty rare that people get infections from it but i went home with pain that day right in that right uh, left lower quadrant and i thought oh this is just part of the surgery and then the next day it really hurt and then you know within a week like by the third fourth day i was in excruciating pain i'm like all right maybe hopefully this will get better maybe this is part of it and then I hit high fever and then in the car it was like what 39 9 it was pushing 40. it was bad (laughs) It's like 4.30 in the morning. Okay, we're going to Mount yeah. Sinai. And I'm like, I'm not feeling so good. Anyway, that was why. And this is why I've been off. And then poor Mary got as sick as a dog for a week. Oh, my God. And here I am, like, hobbling around, like, trying to. like Norwalk 2.0 or something. <laughs> I don't know what the hell <laughs> it poor was. Poor girl. So, yeah, I mean, we both got um, nailed. Yeah. 
over the last month it's been uh sickies rough. taking care of sickies yeah sickies taking care of sickies exactly so now we're back and feeling so much better and um now 60, that you've heard 40, 65 35. yeah yeah you've heard our, our our tales of woe and on that we're going to talk about some more women's health issues mm-hmm. and we are on the ovarians Mm-hmm. I've decided to change the name of certain things. Mm-hmm. From now on, anus is anus. <laughs> and the vagina is the vagine. Mm-hmm. I had another one. I forget what it was. Anyway. Something about the perineum? <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. Or Erica's favorite, the taint. Uh, <laughs> I said to my doctor, taint hurts. You'd probably know my doctor's awesome. Anyway, okay, so let's, um, this is going to be the last of the Women's Health uh, series for now. I'm going to do some more in the future about pregnancy and issues around pregnancy, um, postpartum depression, and uh, postpartum psychosis. And, and touch on those, but I want to do those separately from this because I, I want to make it um, sort of a, a little series on its own and talk about some, some stories a- around that. I've already touched on uh, like the Andrea Yates case, mm-hmm. which was a, an extreme, um, yeah. horrible situation that happened there. But so, yeah, that'll be a little bit into the future. But uh, so let's, let's just get started now that I've talked about that. Okay. Ovarian cysts. I have had ovarian cysts. They're not fun. And it's a pretty common thing that happens to women. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start off with a, with a little, little uh, biology 101. All right, sounds good. Because I know it's not just women that are listening to this. It's, uh, it's men as well. So this is, let's, let's just do it, biology 101. Fluid-filled sacs or pockets in an ovary or on its surface. And each ovary is the shape of an almond on each side of the uterus. Eggs, otherwise known as ova, develop and mature in the ovaries and are released in monthly cycles during childbearing years. Many women have cysts at some point in their life and most present little or no discomfort and are harmless. The majority resolve themselves um, without treatment within a few months, but sometimes they can rupture and that can be very serious. I will get into that. (laughs) Little bastards. Yeah. Symptoms, pelvic pain, dull or sharp ache in the lower abdomen on whatever side the cyst is on, fullness or heaviness in the abdomen, bloating, and you need to see your doctor immediately if you get a sudden severe abdominal or pelvic pain, pain with fever or vomiting, and then you may be in shock if you have cold, clammy skin, rapid breathing, lightheadedness, and weakness, and that is key to what I just said about rupture Mm -hmm. because if a cyst has ruptured you could be bleeding internally and the same with um, depending the size of the ovary I mean sorry the size of the cyst equates to the amount of bleeding that can happen and how fast and also what can happen is an ovarian torsion and the cyst can be so large that it pushes the ovary out of place and it twists and that is extreme, extremely painful. And what it does, it will cut off the blood flow 
to the ovary and causing necrosis. Mm-hmm. So just like if a if a guy gets a tor- testicular torsion, exactly, it's, it's the same. Ours happens on the inside. Okay, the causes. Most ovarian cysts develop as a result of the menstrual cycle. Um, and there are different types of them. So the first one is called a functional cyst. The ovaries normally grow cyst-like structures called follicles each month. Follicles produce the hormones, estrogen and progesterone, and they release an egg when you ovulate. If a normal monthly follicle keeps growing, okay, you can have two types of these functional cysts. The first type is called a follicular cyst. So around the midpoint of the menstrual cycle, an egg bursts out of its follicle and travels down the fallopian tube and begins, this cyst begins when the follicle doesn't rupture or the, or release the egg and continues to grow. Okay. So, you know, it just, the fluid just keeps. It just doesn't hatch. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And the next type of functional cyst is called a corpus luteum cyst. The follicle releases its egg and it begins to produce estrogen and progesterone for conception. And the follicle is now called a corpus luteum. And sometimes the fluid accumulate, sometimes the fluid accumulates inside the follicle, causing the corpus luteum to grow into a cyst. These kind of cysts are usually harmless, rarely cause pain, and often resolve within two or three periods. Now, the next type of cyst scares the hell out of me. I think I've seen pictures of these. It's that of horror movies. Right. It's called the dermoid cyst. Yes. (laughs) Teratomas. They can contain tissue such as hair... Skin or teeth. Yeah. Because they form from embryonic cells and they're rarely cancerous. But if I felt that there was something inside of me that had teeth, hair, I I, honestly, it really messes with my head. I have a hard time thinking of it. It's an alien. It's not even alien. It's just, oh God, I don't even want to think about it. Let's move on. Just, say, just Google the teratoma, whatever, what the heck they call Oh, God. Just Google them. Oh, God. <laughs> so gross. The next is a cystinoma, and they develop on the surface of an ovary and might be filled with a watery or a mucus-type material. The next are endometriomas, and these are very painful because some of that tissue attaches to the ovary and it forms a growth. Dermoid cysts and cystinomas can become large, causing the ovary to move out of position like we talked about before, and that increases the chance of torsion. Risk factors. Hormonal problems, uh, including taking the fertility drug Clomid, causes ovulation. Pregnancy. The cyst can stay on the ovary during pregnancy. Endometriosis. The endometrial cells can attach to the ovary and form a growth. Severe pelvic pain spreads to the ovaries and cause cysts and then previous ovarian cysts. So all of these things can lead to having more ovarian cysts. Complications like we talked about, torsion and rupture, 
and vigorous activity and intercourse can actually increase the risk as well. Of what? Of them rupturing? Yes. Okay. Diagnosis. So it can be found on a pelvic exam, depending on the size, and whether it's fluid-filled, solid, or mixed. Tests. So the doc some doctors will do a pregnancy test because a positive test might suggest that you have a corpus luteum cyst. Pelvic ultrasound, and our favorite, the transvaginal, in which the wand actually is inserted to the vagina, and they take a look around with that, and that is never fun. And that will show the presence of a cyst, its location, its size, and whether it's solid, fluid-filled, or mixed. Um, you can have a laparoscopy, depending um, on what the size is. They want to take a really good look at it even more. And uh, they may actually remove the ovary if it's bad enough or they see something really concerning. Mm -hmm. my, fav my favorite word, oophorectomy. Oophorectomy. Um, and of course, that's a surgical procedure. And the next is a blood test, uh, CA125 blood test. And this is done because blood levels of protein called cancer antigen 125 or CA125, they can be elevated with ovarian cancer. So they want to rule that out. But they can also be elevated with non-cancerous conditions like pelvic inflammatory disease, uterine fibroids, and endometriosis. And they really, really want to do this blood test to rule out cancer um, to begin with, especially if it's a solid cyst. Next, treatment. Watchful waiting. So have follow-up exams and see how, how everything's going. If it's looking like it's a uh, a fluid-filled cyst, uh, something not to be concerned about. They'll keep an eye on it. Medication, some people go on hormonal contraceptives, and that helps reduce um, the risk of cysts, but it won't shrink one that's already in existence. And of course, there's surgery, removing it if the cyst is too large, um, and it keeps growing, and it won't resolve, and it's extremely painful. So it's in extreme cases that they will remove the actual ovary, but surgery is a possibility. And then, of course... Yeah, I would assume that's kind of a last last option. Oh, it totally is, yeah. But And then, of course, if it's cancerous, they will um, 100% remove it and then lead to radiation and chemo. And we're going to talk about ovarian cancer in, um, uh, in this episode. Okay, next, let's move on to polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, also known as PCOS. It's a hormonal disorder common among women of reproductive age, and it causes infrequent or prolonged periods. Oftentimes, there's an excess in the male hormone androgen, and the ovaries may develop numerous small collections of fluids in the follicles and fail to regularly release eggs. So here are the symptoms. These symptoms often develop around the time of the first menstrual period during puberty. And sometimes it develops later in response to a large amount of weight gain. So they have associated um, a large amount of weight gain with PCOS. The signs and symptoms may vary. But if a woman has at least two of these symptoms, it's likely that she has PCOS um, or they will do investigation into it. So uh, one, irregular periods. Infrequent or prolonged cycles are most common. 
If so, if a woman has fewer than nine periods per year or more than 35 days between periods and they're abnormally heavy. Excess androgen. So elevated levels of the male hormone increases facial hair and body hair, occasionally severe acne and male pattern baldness. Next is polycystic ovaries. The ovaries may be enlarged and contain follicles that surround the eggs and they might fail to function regularly and would be more severe if very overweight. They don't really know what causes it, but they feel that the following things play a role in it. So one of them is excess insulin. The increase of insulin may cause an increase of androgen production, causing difficulty with ovulation. And some women have a low-grade inflammation process going on. They're not quite sure why. So is this the cause or the symptom of PCOS? Hmm. But the woman may have a, um, an increased production of white blood cells and the substances from that uh, to fight infection. So it's actually, you know, fighting against the body. And women with PCOS have a type of low-grade inflammation that stimulates the polycystic ovaries to produce androgens that also can lead to heart and blood vessel problems. So it, you know, one is affecting the other. It may be hereditary. Again, the excess of androgen. And then why is there an excess of androgen? Complications. Infertility. Gestational diabetes preeclampsia, miscarriage, premature birth, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which is um, severe inflammation of the liver with the accumulation of fat. But it's not caused from drinking. It's just unknown cause. Metabolic syndrome, which is a cluster of conditions like high blood pressure, increased blood sugar, abnormally high cholesterol and triglycerides, and with that, an increase of heart disease. Type 2 diabetes, sleep apnea, depression, anxiety, and, or eating disorders, abnormal uterine bleeding, and endometrial cancer. So this, this is an extremely serious syndrome for women. Yeah, I don't think there's enough kind of, it's not talked about enough, I don't think. Yeah, and I, I want to touch on something after we go through this. Well, I know some clients and they just kind of suffer with it, but it doesn't seem like anyone knows how to fix it. I mean, obviously there's some sort of hormonal, endocrine, metabolic origin, possibly. That's the thing, possibly, you know. I, I'm going to, I want to touch on something after. Okay. So how do you diagnose it? There is no definitive test to diagnose PCOS. So... Like I'm talk like we talked about before, if you have two or more of these symptoms, uh, or then okay, then we think you have it. So medical history, what are your menstrual periods like? Have you had weight changes? Physical exam, that includes pelvic exams and blood tests to test for the different hormone levels, glucose tolerance, and fasting cholesterol and triglycerides, ultrasound and transvaginal ultrasound 
to check the appearance of the ovaries and the thickness of the uterus. And then other tests are ongoing, like you're ch testing your blood pressure, your glucose, cholesterol, and triglycerides. Also screening for depression and anxiety and for sleep apnea. So what's the treatment? Treatment is to manage the symptoms. So lifestyle changes, weight management, exercise, medications. Um, some, one of the things uh, that is often um, prescribed is a combination birth control pills or patch. Um, so estrogen and progesterone is given to decrease androgen production and regulate estrogen. Regulating hormones can lower the risk of endometrial cancer and correct abnormal bleeding and excess hair growth and acne. There is progesterone therapy, which regulates the periods and protects against endometrial cancer. And then there are a few other uh, medications that help with ovulation and then can help with pregnancy because it's difficult for some women, obviously, to get become pregnant with PCOS. So one, of, so there's gonadotropins, there's letrozole, which is used actually for breast cancer, but it can, in small doses, stimulate the ovaries. Uh, clomiphene is an anti-estrogen medication taken during the first part of the cycle. And if that's not working, sometimes they'll use metformin with it, which is you know, use uh, uh, to lower blood sugar. And um, if, so if you don't get pregnant while using um, clomiphene, they may give you the metformin so that they can work together to help become pregnant. And then there's a, a, a drug called Venicla, so that can help with uh, slow facial hair growth um, in women, um, healthy lifestyle. And yeah, so that's PCOS. So this is where I want to, I want to talk about something here. Women's symptoms are often overlooked. If you go to a gynecologist, that's not usually a problem. But when some women go to their family doctor and some don't have family doctors because of the healthcare system, they may have to go to a walk-in clinic to get treatment for, or get tests done. And right off the bat, they're told, oh, you're overweight, lose weight. Like, um, that's the reason why they're unwell. Often goes straight to, you're overweight, oh, and you're depressed? Well, there's, it, you know, there's no, that's not surprising because you're overweight and you're unhealthy. So, so much of women's, they have, tr like, we have real health issues, but often it goes straight to weight and mental health. And so much, so many other things are overlooked because they go straight for that. We need to be as healthy as possible. But how many things are misdiagnosed because they go straight for that? Mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and it makes me crazy. Mm -hmm. PCOS is extremely it's a serious syndrome. Well, it's, it's like blame almost, you know? It's well, of like, course it's, it's blame. It's like just, well, it's because of these things, and if you just did that, you'd be better. And it's like, no, there's real reasons that women have these issues. This has been going on with women's health forever, 
I look back, you know, we look back at the, the 50s and 60s, Mother's Little Helper, Valium, mm -hmm. and Speed. Mm -hmm. So she's depressed. Give her Valium. She's hysterical. What, because she's actually showing emotions. Give her Valium. She doesn't have a lot of energy. Give her Speed. So there's women, uh, you know, tripping out on, you know, eight balls, medical, per, medically prescribed eight balls, because, you know, they're, they're, they're not d doing the womenly things right. It's yeah. always in the head. It's always in between the ears. And so that's not happening because we had a whole generation of women that were become addicts. They had no idea that these drugs were doing what they were doing. Oh, I feel better. Okay, good. Um, but still, maybe we're not making women addicts, so to speak, by prescribing those drugs. But it's still, oh, oh, you're fat? That's your problem. So that's my little rant right now because women have... So you look at PCOS. What are the risks here? Diabetes. Um, high blood pressure. Um, cardiovascular disease, depression, pain, infertility, right? Yeah. This, this has to be taken seriously and these tests have to be done. Let's move forward onto primary ovarian insufficiency. Um, what happens is the ovaries stop functioning before the age of 40. And the ovaries don't produce typical amounts of the hormone estrogen or release an egg regularly. It was once known as premature ovarian failure. And of course, this often leads to infertility. Sometimes it's confused with premature menopause. So like anything, other things need to be ruled out first. Symptoms. Irregular skip periods. This might happen for years. And this can develop after pregnancy or after stopping birth control. Again, so many women suck it up. Oh, I just have, I've always had horrible pain with my, with my uh, period. Oh, it's, I skip it all the time. You know, like you said before, I know we've set to discuss this in another episode. No woman should have to take Percocet to get through yeah. a period, be flat on their back mm -hmm. with hot water bottles and, you know, Advil and Tylenol at their side just to make it through a period every month. So the other symptoms are difficulty getting pregnant and hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, dry eyes, irritability or difficulty concentrating and decreased sexual desire. So you can see how it can be mistaken for early onset menopause, but everything, you know, you got to look at everything. So the causes, they're not exactly sure what the causes are, but there are some chromosome changes or genetic disorders that uh, can lead to it. And two of them are Turner syndrome, and the other is fragile X syndrome. But these are very serious medical conditions that you would know that you would have from birth. Another cause may be from toxins, chemotherapy or radiation therapy, cigarette smoking, chemicals they may have come in contact with, pesticides, and even a virus can damage the genetic material in cells. Um, and 
hasten ovarian failure. Another cause can be um, autoimmune diseases. It's rare, but the immune system produces antibodies against the ovarian tissue. It can happen. It harms the egg-containing follicles, and it damages the egg. They're not sure what causes the immune response, but it, it could be a possible exposure to a virus. So what are the risk factors? Age. There's an increased risk between the ages of 35 and 40, but it can happen in younger women, including teens. Family history and ovarian surgery. Complications are infertility, osteoporosis because of the decrease in estrogen, depression and anxiety because of low estrogen, and heart disease because of the early loss of estrogen. So it's the estrogen. Like you can see how low estrogen really, really affects the system as a whole. Yeah, it's a, the same with the older men and low testosterone. It, yeah. It's, it's a huge impact on their health. Diagnosis. They want to do a pregnancy a test to, to check for an unexpected pregnancy or to try to figure out like why there would be a missed period. If, is it, does it have to be because you're pregnant or is it something else? The next thing they'll check is hormone levels, one of them being FSH, which is your follicle-stimulating hormone. And then the next, I don't know if I'm going to say this right or not, but I'm going to try estradiol, which is a type of estrogen. They want to check the level of that. They check your prolactin levels. Prolactin stimulates breast milk, so it's another thing like what's happening. Are the hormones too high or too low? What levels are they at? And then they check for chromosome changes like uh, the genes associated with fragile X syndrome. Treatment, estrogen therapy, calcium and vitamin D supplements, which help prevent osteoporosis if your estrogen is, is low. Then there's also the discussion of infertility options, just to, to cover everything. Okay, the next is ovarian cancer. Um, as we know, your mom is, you know, we discussed that your mom passed with that. So our rest in peace, mama. <laughs> yeah. Um, tough. yeah, sorry. It's okay. It's just, there's been a lot to process and I think, you know, the pandemic on top of it really, um, I mean, I guess who knows how long this was occurring in my mom. Um, it could have been, it could have started before the pandemic, but I just feel like not being able to access healthcare could something have been, you know, found out sooner. She fell between the cracks. A lot of people have during this yeah. pandemic. I mean, I'm not taking away from your mom, but think about all the thousands and thousands of people that couldn't have access to their doctors that, you know, got very sick because their diabetes was out of control or heart failure or cancers yeah yeah i've heard of those too and you know it's just disappointing to me now still even though that we you know we've opened things up more but family doctors some of them still aren't seeing people in person in here in canada and that needs to change because the er's are overwhelmed our our wonderful er doctors and nurses and staff are overwhelmed and you know, if I'm massaging people throughout this whole time wearing a mask, like how is it that they can't see a person in person? Yeah, and, and I hope this doesn't become like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the new normal? Yeah. 
that it was he can't we already had a problem with access to health care because our, our system is already overwhelmed we said there's so many people that don't even have family doctors we mm-hmm. lucked out but I, I think you know what now that we're talking about it, i'm gonna i'm gonna write to the clinic and just say when are you gonna da- change this mm-hmm. and maybe if enough of us do that they'll well i don't think too encouraging people to, i was thinking of writing to the mp for our, our writing I mean, maybe after the election, because I'll wait until see who is going to be elected. But <laughs> no, threaten them. You want to be elected? Mm-hmm. You got to change this. But oh yeah, that's true yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, it's just uh, yeah. Yeah. So Brutal. it's it's been tough, and you know, I think there was stuff initially that was misdiagnosed because some of the symptoms, as you'll describe, are misleading, especially in older yeah, women. Exactly, and maybe these tests could have. Many of these tests could have been done to rule out. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about those symptoms. Um, so in the early stages, there may not be any symptoms and they can be associated with other conditions like GI conditions, like constipation, um, irritable bowel, yeah, uh, those types of things. You get abdominal bloating and swelling again. Oh, well you're constipated. Of course you're going to get bloated, right? Or irritable bowel. Yeah. That was a common for a couple of years, we were actually more concerned about colon cancer because there's mm-hmm. a history of colon cancer. Yeah. My mom's dad died from it and there's Crohn's and whatever. So my mom was having these episodes of, uh, more, I would say, more irritable bowel. She was very regular, so to speak. So it was uncommon for her to get constipated. Very uncommon. So, but towards the end stage, she did get more constipated. She was taking some Restorlax and stuff. And then they say, oh, okay, well, because you're not able to go out and do things and you're not exercising as much and that can lead to it. And yeah. And then quickly feeling full when eating. Again, if you're yeah. having bowel problems, that could be it. That was um, a big one in the... Weight loss, mm-hmm. uh, discomfort in pelvic area, fatigue, back pain. We just said changes in bowel habits and urinary frequency. The causes are unclear, but they have identified the risk factors. So it can be caused by changes and mutations in the DNA. And these changes um, tell the cells to grow and multiply quickly, creating a mass of cancer cells. And then they replace the healthy cells. There are different types of um, ovarian cancer. One is epithelial ovarian cancer, which is the most common. And then there are subtypes to that, which is your serous car- uh, carcinoma and the uh, mucinous carcinoma. The next is stromal tumors. They're very rare, and they're usually diagnosed at the early stage um, other than other ovarian cancers. There are germ cell tumors, which are also rare, but are diagnosed Um, when women are much younger. The risk factors are being older. The risk goes up the older you get. Um, And so ovarian cancer is most often diagnosed in older adults and the elderly. Inherited gene changes. So there are genes that you inherit from your parents that carries sort of the gene for ovarian cancer and it's the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 and they also increase the risk of breast cancer as well. 
The next is also something called Lynch syndrome, which I had never heard of before. Um, it is inher- an inherited condition that increases your risk of colon cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, and other cancers. Family history of ovarian cancer, being overweight, postmenopausal replacement therapy like your estrogen, progesterone, endometriosis that attaches to the ovaries, age when menstruation starts and ends, and never having being pregnant. Mm. Prevention, there is really no known, I don't want to say cure, but there's nothing really that you know, that can be done that they, you know, to reduce the risk other than, you know, the things that were just listed above. Mm-hmm. My, um, mom, my mom did do um, HRT. She did do hormone replacement therapy for a number of years um, when she first hit menopause and she was, just, you know, unbearable night sweats and yeah. whatever and stuff. So, you know, but back then they didn't realize that that was, you know, a risk factor. And so... Yeah, maybe that that was something that led to it as well. So it's it's definitely, you know, being that it's a risk factor, my mom did do that. It's possible that it could have contributed to that. So yeah, um, for prevention, that um, also birth control is given as a prevention, and genetic counseling. You know, go in and see. I mean, that might be a good thing for you and your sisters to do. Go in and maybe get some blood work done to see if you carry any of these genetic materials, and it makes you gives you uh, something to to be more aware and to look out for. Um, and it's diagnosis; it's uh, through different types of things here, like pelvic exam, imaging, like you uh, ultrasound and CT scan, blood tests. I talked uh, before about the CA one twenty five surgery. The genetic testing I talked about. So uh, those are often, well, th- those are how you can diagnose it. And then, of course, there's the staging one through four, one being that it's confined to the ovaries, then different stages of spreading to number four, which it's uh, metastasized to different areas or distant areas of the body. At this point, there's, you ha- there's surgery to remove the ovary and maybe it's fallopian tube or to, and then as it's, if it's more progressed to remove the ovaries and the fallopian tubes next to remove the ovaries, fallopian tubes, uterus and nearby lymph nodes. Um, and the fold of fatty tissue in the abdomen called the omentum. And then the fourth is surgery for the advanced cancer to remove as much of the cancer as possible. With this comes chemotherapy, targeted therapy, which they focus on, on a specific weakness present within the cancer cells, hormone therapy that blocks the effects of estrogen on the ovarian cells, and immunotherapy that uses the immune system to fight cancer. The body's disease-fighting immune system may not attack cancer cells because they produce proteins that help them hide from the immune system cells. And the immunotherapy works by interfering with that process. And the next is supportive care, palliative care, and coping and support. So that's the episode for today, covering the ovary. Um, We touched on how women's health is 
too often disregarded or chalked up to appearance, weight, and mental health. And I know there's something that you just want to, that's important for you for to say right now. So I just want to say that, um, you know, there were times, of course, it was difficult during a pandemic to sort of, you know, as m- my mom being an older person was just like, she put stuff down to being older. Oh, I'm tired. Um, oh, it must have been something I ate. But uh, I guess I just wish that, I guess I just wish that there had been more of a push from us. But I, you know, I don't know, this could have been going on for a year, year and a half before, um, you know, when, when it was finally diagnosed, my mom was already quite advanced and she only, um, she went into palliative care about two, three weeks after her diagnosis and then she lasted a month. I just want to give a big shout out to Innes Free House in Kitchener, the hospice that my mom stayed at, all the staff, everybody there is amazing. And my mom had actually volunteered there for many years, so um, it was wonderful that they could take care of her in her final days. But I just want to encourage you all who have older older moms out there to not, not dismiss things when, you know, if someone who's normally a fairly healthy and energetic person is tired all the time or having symptoms that seem, you know, out of the norm for them, um, you know, just encouraged to, to get it checked out because, you know, there was stuff that was happening with my mom that was, you know, oh, it's her heart. That's why she's got, you know, shortness of breath or fluid retention in her abdomen. But, you know, by the time they finally got to it, it looked like she was, you know, seven, eight months pregnant. And this was the fluid buildup from the ovarian cancer um, invading into the abdomen and the fat layer in the abdomen. So the omentum. The omentum, yeah. So, so I'm just encouraging you all from my experiences, just, you know, don't don't let your parents just dismiss oh it's old age or whatever. Your mom was very stoic as well, like a lot of uh, yeah. elderly people, especially from the gen- their generation, yeah. they just suck it up, right? They do, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that maybe it should be looked at. To look, there's a lot of stuff that should be looked into. That's you know not to be dismissed just because someone's older doesn't mean they should suffer with pain or be tired all the time or have these issues and just chalk it up to getting older. Because I know a lot of older people who are quite healthy. And so, you know, when there is a change in their health like that, I encourage you to support your your parents or your loved ones that are older. And, you know, get things checked out. A simple blood test could save someone, you know, um, just a simple blood test could verify whether there's something more serious going on. So, And also, if we're getting up in there in age, that we don't dismiss our own um, our own symptoms as well. Yeah. But the, everything you just said there was uh, so um, bang on. I mean, you thank you for sharing how you feel, and thank you for those suggestions, um, things to think of. I think, uh, like you're, like I said, you're you're absolutely bang on with that. And um, and again, I'm uh, you know I'm sorry, sorry. Your mom was awesome. Thanks. It's for you, mom. I love you. Miss yeah. you. <laughs> Okay, on that note, um, I just want to thank all of you for listening and for hanging in over the 
the little uh, hiatus we took here. And I want to thank Lynn McDonald for becoming our newest Patreon supporter. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. And thank you for everybody that continues to support us through Patreon and all of you that listen and participate in the Facebook page. Um, we've got the the best listeners in the land, and uh, we love you guys. Thank you for that. Thanks. And on that note, remember to take care of yourselves, take care of each other, love each other, but most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.